0: your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of 1 John, chapter 3, the little letter of 1 John, chapter number 3. This is one of those chapters and the subject today, uh, which would cause me to want to read every word of the entire chapter, and I'm not going to do that, but we're going to pick up this morning in verse number 14. 1 John. Chapter 3, beginning in verse number 14, the Apostle John says, We know, that is a word that he uses often throughout this letter. God wants us to know certain things. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Chapter 4 and verse number 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Regardless of the subject, there is always a contrast We think about day, and automatically we have to think about night. We think about sunshine, and so automatically we think about shadows. We think about right, and then we think about wrong. We think about good, we think about the bad. We think about fast, we think about slow. And today in these verses that I just read, we see a contrast here between love and hate. Now whenever we think about the subject of love, it's one of those subjects that seems so very simple that some people just automatically fail to listen. They fail to really think deeply about the subject and they they fail to get the message because they think they've got it. The problem is sometimes we don't know what we don't know. There are many times that we assume that we... You know, that we know all about a subject and we don't really know as much as we think that we do. Just about everybody would think, you know, that they know what love is. But actually, few people in this world really do understand it. One reason is because love means different things to different people. You know, we talk about, uh, I love tacos or... You know, I love steak, or I I hate rainy days, or whatever it is. And so, you know, depending on who you're talking to, love can mean anything, everything, or like in tennis, nothing. So, you know, what do you mean whenever you talk about the subject of love? Not everybody understands and if you think defining love is difficult, just try to define the opposite of love. Let me give you a heads up. Don't go on Google defining or trying to find the definition of the opposite of love because there are some that leave you so confused you'll, you will not have any clues to what, what they're talking about. If we want the answer, we just need to look here to the Word of God. Now, in verse number 15, it's very obvious that he is drawing a contrast between love and hate. And I I want you to notice how the hate is shown to manifest itself. He speaks here about murder. Murder is a form, you could say, maybe it's the highest form of hate. But when we look at verse number 17, we see that hate is manifested by indifference. Let me read it again. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? That's the reason that I read verse 20 of chapter 4 just a little while ago to get the connection there to show you how crucial it is that we understand what he's talking about here. The contrast between love and hate, and we have to understand what both of them really are if we're, going to, if we're going to understand where we are in our life spiritually. You know, it's common to hear people say, Well, you know, I hate what they do, but, but I don't hate them. Now, that might be true. We can all think of situations like that. We can think about people that we love dearly, and and, and we can say, honestly, I hate what they're doing, but I love them. that might be true, but it also might be a lie, because sometimes we do what we say we don't. Claiming that you don't hate a person doesn't mean you don't. So we have to ask that question, do you know what hate is? What do you say? Well, you know, I've got a dictionary. Uh, I, I, I can look up the Greek word in Strong's Concordance or a Smith's Bible Dictionary and it's really very obvious. The hate simply means to detest, it means to dislike, it means to disfavor, it means Unloved. I can't remember who said it, but someone gave this definition in regards to that. Defined hate as disregard in contrast to preferential treatment, the opposite of love. Now, stay with me. Because whenever you really stop and think about it based on what John is writing here, not loving is hating. So that means that apathy and indifference being a form of hate, that's, that's hating someone. So we say, well, you know, I, I hate what they do, but I don't hate them. Well, maybe you really do hate them. And you're just not aware of it because you've never really stopped to think about what hate really is. You could say that, that murder is hate with action. Right? But whenever you think about apathy or indifference, that's, uh, that's hate without any action you don't punch them in the nose, you haven't assaulted them, you don't slit their throat, you didn't murder them, so there's no action there, but the hate is there because you didn't love them, because had you loved them, you would have fought. You would have responded to the needs in their life. So indifference is a, is a, a hate that, that, that is without the, without the emotion and you see the problem is so many times we try to we try to hide our hate or excuse our sin by saying you know i hate what the person does but i don't hate the person or i hate the sin but not the sinner and it is time that we stop playing games with semantics here and got honest because the fact is based on what the bible says not what we think the fact is that if we don't care we don't love and that's a form of hate. Pure hate. Now, what about the word love? What what is love? Well, there's several different words, Greek words that's translated love in the Bible. You know, there's that romantic kind of love, and there's that brotherly kind of love, and so on and so forth, but But the love that speaks about God's love and the love that we ought to have for others is the Greek word agape. And it's speaking about a love that gives sacrificially of itself. Sacrificially and unconditionally. In other words, love is a choice that we make to give of ourselves to meet the needs of others. Not caring about their needs is what? Apathy. Hate, which is sinful. Now let's try to get really honest, because you know very well that we often don't care about the needs of people that do things that we hate. Are you with me? We don't throw rocks at them but we see them in their need and we don't respond because we are offended (laughs) as though we wrote the commandments, as though we had the authority rather than God. The offense is against God and we ought to be offended that they offended God, but that should not cause us to mistreat them. In other words, we allow what they do to affect how we feel about them and how we treat them. So if we do that, how can we say then that that we love the sinner? Hate the sin, but love the sinner. You see, that would be a lie. It's a lie in this case to where we are so offended by what they do that we allow what they do and how we feel about it to affect the way that we treat them. And it's very seldom that you find someone who loves sinners just like they love those that are good, those that are kind, those that are faithful, those that are obedient. Because we tend to let our feelings about their sin affect the way that we treat them. And when we do that, we are actually expressing a form of hate, whether we think so or not. Listen, the Bible doesn't give us any middle ground. We think we're being neutral in this position, you know. Well, you know, yeah, I don't really love them, but I don't really hate them. No, it's one or the other. You are either responding to their need or you're not. And one is love and one is hate and there's no middle ground. If they have to earn your love, it isn't Love. And that's what we're demanding from them. If you want me to love you, if you want me to respond to your needs, if you don't want me to be indifferent toward you, then you better live up to my expectations. If you want to know what love really does, read 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. It tells it doesn't define love, but it describes love. What love does and what it doesn't love. So, when we think about this matter of loving one another as we've been commanded, then we need to consider what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 9, where he says, And let love be without dissimulation. That word dissimulation means without any hypocrisy. In other words, our love is to be sincere. It is to be without any pretense. It is to be genuine. It is to be without sham. And we need to stop deceiving ourselves and do as Christ commanded over in Matthew chapter number 5, you'll remember. Let me just turn there and remind you of what the Lord said as to how we ought to respond to those that, that do things that not only are wrong, but things that offend us. He said, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Man, that's a tall order. Let that sink in. Think about it. In other words, you you don't start loving them whenever they finally get it together and finally they're living up to your expectations. You love them even though they are an enemy and they curse you and despitefully use you regardless of what they're doing to you. The obligation on your part is to love them. And I hope you see the problem and I hope you get the point here because Again, we say we don't hate a person because we don't harm them. But if we refuse to do them good, we are harming them. Withholding the good that we're demanded to give is harming them, but it's a sin to us. Again, it's not a neutral position between love and hate. Indifference... Toward others is hate. Regardless of who they are. Regardless of what they've done. It is a form of hate. Love your enemies, really. They that curse you, despitefully use you. Boy, you know, whenever we think about someone cursing us. I mean, getting right up in our face calling us names, or lying about us behind our backs, slandering us, ruining our reputation, or whatever it is. Boy, that's when we're really put to the test. Anybody can love those. And that's what Jesus went on to say there in Matthew chapter 5. He said, even the scribes and the Pharisees, anybody can love those that that do good to them. Anybody can. That's nothing. Don't brag about that. You see, that's why in churches these little clicks develop. You got a little click here and a little click there and a little click everywhere, you know. All of those little clicks are developed because so and so, you know, they're doing something to meet a certain person's need, whether it's to, you know, to uh, help their ego out or to help them in some way. And so we gravitate toward that. We love for people to love us and we gravitate toward this. But. Then you've got all of those other folks out on the periphery that are not spiritual enough yet, maybe not even saved or whatever their problem is. They're not in that little clique, and they get left out. And I got news for you: they'll never become what they ought to be unless we break out of the out of those little cliques that we have. And we reach out to those that have not been included. And we let them know we love you. That we care for those that don't care for us. And it might be a shocking revelation to you, but I, unless I miss my guess, I'll bet there's somebody in this room right here, right now, that really doesn't care very much about you. They're mannerly enough that they wouldn't say that. They're not going to write you a nasty letter. They're not probably not even going to talk behind your back, but if they just if they were just brutally honest, they'd say, "You know, I just can't stand to be around that person. I just don't like them. I don't care about them." And yet we've got an obligation to care about them regardless of who they are. Amen. To care for those that don't care for us. And listen, since we're still in the flesh, we're weak. And we're under a lot of tension because we struggle all of the more by the fact that we're misunderstood by the people that we're, that we're trying to help. And by that I mean that if we express our disapproval of a person's sin, and, and sometimes love would compel you to do that doesn't mean, you know, because you love somebody that you're never going to confront them about a sin in their life. To the contrary, if you really love them, you will do that in a loving way. But we're under pressure because we know that whenever we do that, we run the risk of offending them and they will despise us and they will accuse us of hate. And and let me tell you, it gets all of the more difficult when we finally begin to realize that what they really want is more than toleration, because if you say anything negative about the way that they're living, automatically they label you as a hater. So finally, you know, you cave in and you say, well, okay, I I, I can tolerate that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll at least be kind to them. And then they up the ante. They don't want just toleration. They want approval. They want you to approve of what they're doing. If you don't, you're a hater. You've tolerated it, but now we want your approval on it. Rearrange and change some of the laws to show that you approve of what we're doing, that there's nothing wrong with it. And then eventually it gets to the point that they demand participation in it. When we think about right now, there are... There are legislators right now that, if they had their way, it would not be illegal for a, for a child to be molested. They've made it known they would enact law saying that, no law against that. What a sick, sinful world that we live in today. But that's what I'm talking about. That puts a lot of pressure on us because we think about, you know, it really gets tough to love people that have that kind of an attitude, but the difficulty of our duty doesn't dismiss us from our responsibility. It's horrible. It's terrible what they've done. Let's put this in shoe leather and bring it right down to where we live, for example. When it comes to the matter as to how we vote. As we all know, our country is about pretty evenly divided. We never know who's going to win the election, you know. About 50%. So we know there is a division there. Everybody's not going to vote alike. And there's a slight chance that even if everybody... Everybody... Uh, this morning uh, would divulge who they voted for, there's a slight chance that we all didn't vote for the same people. And it might be we feel very strongly about, you know, who we voted for. We might oppose the other party. But our obligation is to love those who did not vote as we did. But it goes beyond this matter of voting. It has to do with everyday life. We think about protesting abortion. It might be that you participated in protesting abortion. I mean, you've stood out there with a placard and you've walked up and down the street. You've let your, your feelings about that be made known. Good for you. I'm, you know, that, that, that's fine. But protesting abortion, hating abortion, doesn't give you the right to not love those who have abortions. What they do is wrong. What they do is murder. It's horrible. It's terrible. But they have to answer to God for that, and we have to answer to God for whether we love them or not. comes to the matter of what started out being called an alternate lifestyle, homosexuality. It's very clear from what the Bible says about God's opinion of that, and it's one thing for us to despise the sin. But let me tell you, it's never right for us to be unloving to those that are given to it. And I got news for you: that's not that's not always easy for so, for, for some of those of my generation. Because you've got to understand, we're talking about a subject, we're talking about things that was absolutely, totally unheard of back when I was growing up. We're talking about something that when I started preaching, you did not even dare mention that word in a sermon of any kind because it was so filthy, so vile, so off limits to a mixed congregation, especially it's taboo, you don't talk about that. And today it's everywhere. And some way or another, some of these loose canons have the idea that because the sin is so horrible, that they've now got a license to, to be unloving, which is hate, toward those given to it. Love and hate. One or the other. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And based on experience, I know what most people will do most people you know they'll just they'll walk out the door and keep on pretending that all is well i mean that's the way most people usually respond to the truth whatever it is and i hope you're not one of them i pray that this message will help someone anyone begin to come face to face with the sin in their life. I'm talking about the sin of lacking love, which is a terrible sin that God classifies as hate and even puts it in the category as murder. It is so serious that He tells us again and again that it is one of the evidences as to whether a person has ever really been saved or not. Now listen carefully and hang on, and I'll be through as quick as I can. I almost didn't preach this message. And the reason I didn't is because I knew it was going to end up right here at this point. And I knew it was going to raise many questions. It's it's love or it's hate, and there's no middle ground. And apathy and indifference is in the hate category, horrible, terrible sin. And here's the problem. All of us are tempted to look around and think of someone that's not living up to our expectation. You see, the problem is, instead of us getting the main point of the message, which is this, am I loving others or am I indifferent toward them? That's the main point of the message. It's not about what somebody else is doing or not doing. But the temptation is for us to shift the focus from us to somebody else. Because when those folks are not living up to our expectations, not meeting our desires, not meeting our needs, whatever they are, the temptation is, is to Say, well, you know, if they really had love in their heart, if they were really Christians, they would live up to my expectations. They say that they love me, but I I just don't see it. So what we end up doing is doubting the love of someone who actually, truly, really loves us. Because it's only natural that when they don't live up to our expectation and we're focused on that subject instead of where we ought to be, that automatically we start wondering, well, do they really love me or not? Because we all know that love is an action word. Love is the unconditional, sacrificial giving of ourselves to meet the needs of other people. That's what love is. So whenever we feel that's not the way we're being treated automatically, we assume they don't love us. And in some instances, they are right. Because for some people, this has been habitual, a lifestyle they've never cared Whenever you go back to the early part of chapter 3, John makes some statements there that are really, well, if you're not familiar with it, it just leaves you scratching your head. Because he speaks there about the fact that as believers, that they they don't sin. But when you go back to chapter number 1, You read that we all sin If a man say he hath not sinned. He's a liar and the truth is not in him. There's no one here that is sinless. Even though you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, there's nobody here that's perfect. None of us. That means there's not one person here who is meeting every need of every person you know and love. And you've let the devil shift your focus from whether or not you're loving others to wondering about whether others love you as though that's going to get you off the hook. And so now you're making unfounded accusations against others without knowing the facts And here's the facts. We all fail. You fail just like anybody else fails. And there might be numerous reasons as to as to why other people don't respond to your needs as you feel that they should. It simply might be they can't. You assume that they could, but really, in reality, whether you know it or not, they can't. It, they just can't for whatever reason. It might be financial, it might be emotional, it might be spiritual, but they just can't do it. Or it might be they're not responding because they think it would be better to not do so. Every parent can identify with that. If you gave a kid everything they wanted, well, they'd be dead in 24 hours. Little kids can't play with sharp knives and scissors and stuff like that. They can't play in the middle of the street. But if they don't get what they want, they start crying, Well, you don't love me. So sometimes people people accuse others of not loving them when in reality they don't respond to their expectations or their genuine needs because for whatever reason they think it would be better not to do so. It might be they have a different idea as to what constitutes a need. And this is why I almost didn't preach this sermon because I, I wanted to preach this part of it tonight in, in a separate sermon because all of this has got to be considered together. Are you with me? Am I making any sense? And there's some folks that are just totally confused as to what really constitutes a need. And it might be sometimes they've just got a wrong attitude. It might be because sometimes they're not responding to your expectations because there is a sin in their life. They're out of line. They're out of order. They're cold and indifferent toward God. They're saved. They really do love you, but they're struggling spiritually, and their struggle is causing you pain. And they're not going to bear their soul and come right out and tell you what the struggle is all about. And then there's sometimes that there's just, they're just no explanation for, for why they don't respond as we think that we should. But the bottom line is this. We need to learn to... We need to learn to cut each other some slack. Instead of jumping to conclusions... And accusing others of not loving us when indeed they really truly do. Because we all fail. And none of us are meeting the needs of everybody else. You can level your accusation against me or somebody else. But I'm telling you, there are people that can level that same charge against you. And if you're here this morning and you think, Well, (laughs) how dare you stand up there and tell me that I'm being unloving to somebody. How dare you sit there with such cocky pride in your heart and act like you are so stinking self-righteous as to think that you couldn't have your name on that list of sinners. I've got a sneaking suspicion that we're all guilty to some extent. Of not loving others as we should. And let me tell you, there's a high price to pay for that. Whether it's a family or a church or an individual, there's a high price to pay when we ignore God's command to love one another. The very fact that God says there's no middle ground, it's love or it's hate. Oh, we can we can try to jump through the hoops and explain it away like the Pharisees. You know, they'd stand on the corner, they'd look at all of the hot chicks as they come by and nudge one another, boy, look at that, you know. And Jesus comes along and he says, "You look on one with lust in your heart; you've already committed adultery." It's the same thing. How dare we pat ourselves on the back and say, "Well"? I haven't murdered anyone. Oh, no, you haven't murdered anyone. You just made them feel like they're not important, not worthy of your love whatsoever by treating them with indifference, with being apathetic toward them. I'm so glad we've got a reputation for being a friendly church. Thank God for that. We'd never have an excuse for being anything other than that. But I pray to God that we will develop a, a reputation in this community that people can honestly say, that has got to be the most loving church that I've ever seen. I'm trying to quit, believe me. I'm going to make one more statement and quit. I was sitting there Yesterday. I, I, I don't know why, but you'll be hearing about it in a message or something in the future. And I got to thinking about what the Bible says about widows. And I got to thinking about all of the widows that we've got. You want to talk about love, indifference, apathy? How do we treat our widows? Let that sink in a little while. Don't you dare walk out this door today like there couldn't possibly be anything that you need to get right with God. I'm not asking you to crawl up on here on your hands and knees. I'm not asking you to even say anything to me whether you're up here on your face before god or whether you're standing i i don't care where you're at but every one of us ought to resolve in our heart dear god forgive me of the horrible sin of being indifferent toward the the needs of others it might be a guest that just came in off of the street you've never met before don't look quite right. Looks like maybe they've been on meth, you know. You see, isn't it amazing the way that we let Satan just run our mind around in circles? What difference does that make? It's somebody that needs the love that we're obligated to give. They shouldn't have to earn it. They shouldn't have to deserve it. We ought to love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And there's not one of us that did anything to cause him to love us. He said, I'm going to do it anyway. And he did. And how did he prove it? He gave. He gave. I'm not talking about money. Sometimes that's involved, but a lot of stuff more important than that. He gave his life. He gave his life. John alludes to that right here in these two chapters. He talks about love being demonstrated by our willingness to lay down even our life one for another. Let's stand. Father, I pray you forgive me for not Loving others as I, as I ought. Forgive me of the times that I've let people walk right by. And the times that even I've, it's as though the Holy Spirit nudged me and reminded me, there goes a person that has a need of some kind and for whatever reason I just, I just ignored them. And I pray you'll forgive me and help me to be an example to this congregation, to my family. And Lord, forgive me the times that even with my own children, because of my disapproval of what they were doing, the times that, it, that at least for a little while, I just let myself get bent out of shape long enough to send a message to them, I don't like what you're doing. I'm glad you helped me to get over that. But Lord, I realize that it's still so easy for me to express my displeasure at people that are doing things that that are displeasing to you. Help me, Lord, to just leave all of that in your hands and to love those that, that might be unlovely in some ways, but aren't we all? Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And now help us to love others in the same way that you loved us unconditionally. Change us, transform us here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All we say. Page 544, 544. In his way is the way of love. His way is the way of forgiveness. The verses I read earlier before we sang the next verse where John said 1 John 4:20 If a man say I love God I, I, I just about bet everybody here would say that If a man say I love God and hateth his brother that word brother can be taken in the large sense of the word, anybody. And hate means exactly what we've been talking about. Hate means the opposite of love, unloving. Apathy, indifference towards someone, anyone. He says, I love God and he hateth his brother. Notice he is a liar. That would go for me, you, anybody else. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen... How can he love God whom he hath not seen? Boy, for some folks, you know, we Christians sometimes act out of character. We get out of the will of God and do things that we normally don't do. But what John says in the first part of chapter 3 there about that not sinning, that's talking about in the habitual sense that it's a lifestyle, that that's just what you do. And Christians don't go on living that way. They might get tripped up, but they get up. But there are multitudes of people that would say i love god i know i was saved i know i'm going to heaven when i die they've been living this same lifestyle all of their life nothing has ever changed it's obvious they're apathetic toward the needs of everybody around them and yet they claim to be a christian and god says those people are liars the truth is not in them they've never they've never been born again and boy if, if that describes you it ought to scare you to death i'm serious sing another verse tim and Just now, as in presence, only I oh, thank you for being here this morning. Brother Zach Hamlin, would you word our prayer, please? My audacity to, to justify my attitude and my heart towards others, Father, on their behaviors. Help us, Father, to, to put, put ourselves aside and, and to love others the way you love us, Father. Show them your love to us, Father. Just ask you to help take this sermon and, and, and to this week, Father, and to work in all the places Amen. I know, Father, to find my life. Uh, there's none here that, that know your love, that have trusted your son as your savior, Father. I pray that you give that life right today. Amen.